News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. I hear this is a very popular karaoke song, and then I started to wonder, I wonder if Raji Sohal's ever sung this song at karaoke before. What do you say, Raji? I have not. I just strictly go to Madonna. That's all I can do because Madonna can't really sing and neither can I. So well, that's a good choice, actually. <laughs> it's it's a really good choice. Journey would be a great choice, I think, if you went to go to karaoke. What's your song? I've never gone to karaoke <gasps> because nobody wants to hear me sing and I don't want to sing in front of people. So I absolutely I also believe, want to hear you Well, no. See, I think karaoke, they're the key the th- key ingredient in being successful at karaoke is alcohol. Would you agree with that? No, it's confidence. No, it's alcohol. <laughs> it's definitely alcohol. And I don't drink, so I don't ever get to that point where I'm like, yes, I'm going to be good at this and I'm going to go do it. So I'm sparing the world from seeing it that, is, actually. It is the worst when someone sends you a video of someone doing yes, karaoke after the fact. Because during, everyone's having a great time. Yeah. After the fact, you're like, wow, this is embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't ever want to have that happen. So I'm just going to leave that off my list. But I digress because we're talking about some very interesting rental situations in Vancouver. Oh, Vancouver. Well, we know Vancouver's rental market is obviously very expensive. But the latest I find in a column I would call greed and renting is that one so-called landlord has advertised on Craigslist that they're renting out an RV pad. So what does this mean? It does not mean that they're renting you an RV to sleep in, to live in, uh, but just a space, a tiny space next to their own laneway house. And so how much is it to bring your mobile trailer and rent this RV pad near UBC and Oak Ridge? $850 a month. And I don't know if people are responding to this ad, but it really annoys me. I actually, Simi, I have an unfortunate kind of close experience with this because I had a boss who once, uh, not currently, who was very wealthy. She lived in uh, Kits. She had a gorgeous home. And she was obsessed with coming up with schemes to make cash. And one day she got a tiny, old, gross RV and she plopped it next to her stunning, amazing house. And she's surprised that nobody wanted to rent it for $2,000 a month. $2,000? That's just greed. That is out of greed. Yeah. And then she, so get this, some people did respond unbelievably. And then she complained, as she put it, because of the quality of the candidates was not good enough. This person sounds then crazy. She uh, kind of was. Eventually, she put it uh, on Airbnb too, but then the neighbors kept calling her for various bylaw infringements and she had to stop and she just blamed her neighbors for being, for nimbyism and that kind of thing. Oh boy. Like, oh, no, the problem is you and your greed. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely the problem there. <laughs> this listing is interesting, though. So $850, and it's just the RV pad. However, there's no RV that's connected to this. You have to get your own. It has to be under 24 feet, but it does include a sewer line, water line, and electricity. Well, fantastic. I mean, technically, <laughs> the forest includes a, a sewer line in a way, I guess you could say. So, no, I'm not buying it. And I re- I'm just so grossed out by this. I, I miss the days when people used to, and this is not like too long ago, but I remember when if you had a little bit of space, you would share it with folks. When I was a kid, we were a big family. I'm one of uh, 
five kids. So seven of us were in the house. I remember at one point my parents making us share all share bedrooms so that we could give up the uh, main floor to a family, a mother uh, who was raising two children on her own suddenly. And they didn't charge her rent uh, because they just thought she was in a bind and needed help. And I feel like I don't hear about that happening very much anymore. Well, it's about uh, how do I like divvy up my uh, garage space? But I think my... they have to. I think people have to monetize whatever they can from their homes these days because one, the house is so expensive to begin with. People are stretching themselves to the limit to be able to afford to buy a home and they can't make it work unless they have some income coming in. I think that's just a fact. So one of my neighbors has told me that what they're hoping to do is to next year actually rent out their front garden space to someone to make a greenhouse and basically like rent out their lawn area, their garden to someone to use that land for like a community garden, hmm. but you got to pay for it. Well, actually, this this does happen. In fact, um, somebody down the street from me, because I stopped to admire their unbelievable garden. They have a vegetable garden in the backyard and it's just huge and it was fantastic and I so admired it. And one day I happened to see them there and I said, your garden is so beautiful. And they said, oh, it's not ours. So they actually, it's a community, um, uh, like a fresh vegetable local organization that grows vegetables to donate. And, and it's like, it it's an organization. And so they rent it out to them. They said, oh yeah, we, wow. we rent it out for just like a nominal fee to them. So this does happen. It actually, I think there are other people who do this. Oh, that's so interesting. I haven't heard about that, but I do think that in this economic climate, we're going to start to see people doing that more and more, just coming up with creative ways to make a little bit of cash off of their land. And then as Ken Sim and ABC say that they're going to make things just easier for us with our our land, our homes, renovating uh, and all that kind of thing. I think uh, things are going to get even more interesting with the spaces around us. Well, Mark has just emailed me and Mark, I kind of agree with you on this one. Mark says, you know what? The $850, Mark says that's a great deal. He said, if you go, he said, (laughs) if you go to an RV park, he said, you're paying almost $1,500 a month for full hookup. He said, I'm sorry, but this is actually not an unreasonable price. (laughs) So Mark, Mark is saying, if you see that, snap it up snap it up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I would think that this person who's who's offering like a plot next to their very fancy house could probably afford it to maybe rent out the RV pad for 200 bucks a month. Hmm. Help yeah. your neighbor out. Maybe. I think a lot of students have been doing this. You know, there've been stories about down at Jericho, uh, RVs parked there where the city was, and this is this in the last couple of weeks, right? Having to finally tell them, okay, got to move on. But people just, you know, students who are living there, it just, it just depends because people are so desperate right now. Yeah, and so many students can't find housing or lodging. One thing I will say about people parking their RVs and not getting caught by a bylaw is I park my my car in the wrong spot, see me, for all of 30 seconds, and I, I am bound. I'm like a magnet for those tickets. I don't I know how everyone else gets away with just parking there for months. But I think, Roger, you just, that's the nail on the head for how people are feeling. And when we talk about the issue of public safety, it really is about how some people feel like they are following the rules. And they don't get, there's no you know, reward for that. But people who are breaking the rules, also, there is no consequence for that. And I think that's how people feel. 
I think that's how people feel. And earlier I heard you talking to John Strait about that there isn't any good news right now necessarily. I think that in the air, there is a hopefulness about where Vancouver is headed under some new management. And even from people that I hear did not vote uh, for the change that's coming their way with ABC in Vancouver, they're still hopeful. Just no, that they're hopeful that maybe with a big change, things are going to improve. Yes, people, we want to believe we are ever hopeful. I think that is very right. true. Raji, thank you so much. Thanks, Simi. This is Mornings with Simi. A very difficult time for police officers right across the country. Of course, in the last 24 hours, we are talking about and dealing with the line of duty death of Constable Shaylin Yang in Burnaby, uh, RCMP member of their mental health and wellness team who was doing a check on someone who was living unhoused in a park in Burnaby. I ended with a tragic fatal stabbing, but that is not the only case of an officer being killed in the line of duty recently in Canada. In fact, the National Police Federation points out there have been five of them in about five or six weeks. That is a shockingly high number. What kind of resources are available to officers to deal with some of these issues? Well, joining us now is Fiona Wilson, the Deputy Chief of the BC Association of Police Chiefs. Thank you for joining us. Hi, good morning, Simi. Thank you for having me. Well, you must be so shocked to be dealing with this. It feels like again in Canada. You know, there just isn't a police officer around who isn't totally shaken by Shaylin's murder yesterday. Uh, We're all trying to make sense of it. And frankly, it's hard to know where to start. We're just uh, devastated for Shaylin's family, for her colleagues, the entire policing community. You know, we all know that there are risks and unpredictability involved in our profession, and we're certainly willing to take on those risks to serve our communities. And that's what Shaylin was doing yesterday, and it's definitely shaken us all to the core. Are there resources, Fiona, available to officers? Because as you say, this this has been very difficult for them. You know, that's a great question, and it's a very, very important one. So our officers are exposed to trauma Every day, you know, we respond to calls uh, to help people who are often experiencing the worst day of their life. And, you know, uh, incidents like yesterday really highlight the importance of our uh, resources for police officers. Um, You know, every single one of the members who responded yesterday could be, um, you know, could potentially suffer from PTSD. And we know that the sooner we address any trauma that they've been exposed to, the less likely they are to have long-term impacts of that trauma that we see sometimes weeks, months, and years down the road. So, you know, um, we have a number of mechanisms in place. I can speak on behalf of the Vancouver Police Department. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have um, uh, yesterday, for example, after the incident, we would have brought all our members together to have what we call a critical incident stress management debrief. We bring them in food, we sit around um, and talk about how the call has had an impact on them. We then go on to give them some time off. We engage our peer support unit um, to make sure that they have support in the coming days and weeks. And, of course, we have our psych services that are available to them that we encourage them to take advantage of. So there's a whole host of resources in place to try and help our officers in recognition of the fact that these incidents are exceptionally traumatic. Right. Given what happened yesterday and because it was unfolding and so much, it feels like, unfolded yesterday, is today kind of the day where you feel like for those officers, they have to be reached out to, that today is the day that they have to be approached and say, do you need to talk to somebody? 
Simi nailed it. That's uh, absolutely what we do. And it's so, so important because, you know, historically in policing, we've seen the impact of the long-term impact of PTSD on our members. You know, uh, a few decades ago, when we didn't do a very good job of making sure that they were taken care of in the wake of incidents like this. And so, um, you know, we do absolutely everything we can to try and help them work through the trauma and deal with the impact that these types of incidents may have on them quickly. And um, it's one of those situations where we front end load those resources to make Mm -hmm. sure that they're taken care of. Are officers getting better? I'm sure there would have been a stigma in years past about asking for help, but are are officers getting better at asking for help? Absolutely. You know, there's a, a general recognition in our profession these days that, um, you know, uh, dealing with trauma in the first instance um, is very, very important. And, you know, sometimes our officers don't recognize that they're struggling. Um, sometimes, as I say, it takes weeks or months or years for that to develop. And in recognition of that, you know, we teach our officers from the day that they join the job Um, the importance of um, participating in critical incident stress management debriefs. We have a number of areas in our department where, um, you know, we require, we have mandatory psych uh, visits for our members in places like homicide or the sex crimes unit. Um, So we have a lot of mechanisms in place. Um, You know, we have facility dogs uh, wandering around um, and, and really trying to comfort our members on a daily basis. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of resources in place. And of course, a very, very robust peer support unit here at the VPD. And I know in many, many uh, organizations across the province. Is there discussion among officers, Fiona, about what has been happening across the country? As we heard from the National Police Federation, five police, you know, on duty deaths in the last, what, five or six weeks? That's a shockingly high number. You know, you're right. It is a high number. Um, we had Andrew Hong in Toronto who was shot and killed last month in an ambush. Um, we had Constable uh, Constables Russell and Northup shot and killed in Innisfil just last week. And then, of course, Shaylin's murder yesterday. We had that horrendous incident in Saanich, Saanich um, just a few yeah. months ago. So, yes, I mean, it's definitely a topic of conversation in policing circles. I sit on the association of the British Columbia Association of Chiefs of Police, and we represent over 9,200 police officers in the province. And I can tell you at that table, it is absolutely a topic of conversation. Okay, so what is going to happen, do you think, over the next couple of days here? I mean, how, how, do do you say that across the country? Will every, do you think, police force across the country be talking about this? Oh, I absolutely think every police force will be talking about it. This is the type of incident that reverberates throughout um, police departments uh, uh, across the country. There's no question about that. Um, it, for, for our members who were involved in yesterday's incident, and there were many of them, um, we will be making sure that some of those resources that I previously spoke about are, are put in place and are utilized over the coming days um, because it's a critical time for our membership. We will come together. We will support each other. Um, and uh, we'll do everything we can to make sure that um, our members come out of this and um, they can move forward in a healthy way. Um, And a lot of that is truly about supporting each other. And that's not just within the BPD, that's across policing organizations across the country. That's good to hear. Fiona, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Fiona Wilson is the Deputy Chief of the BC Association of Police Chiefs.
talking about the death of Constable Shailen Yang and how that has impacted police officers. And yes, there will be uh, help for them today, and I hope that many officers will do that, will take advantage of that. Now, as you can imagine, this tragedy has had a significant impact on the Burnaby RCMP in particular. They worked closely with Constable Yang during her three years on duty there. There was a press conference, very emotional, that they had yesterday, and we heard from the Chief Superintendent, Graham de la Gorgandiere, one of Constable Yang's supervisors, uh, and he talked about how Constable Yang's homicide impacted him and his team. Have a listen. Standing here today... Speaking about the impact, the line of death duty, line of duty death of one of our members is probably the most difficult thing I've had to do in my career. Loss of uh, Constable Shailen Yang is immeasurable to her family, her friends, to all her, her team members and colleagues, and to the greater community here in Burnaby and across the country. While I cannot speak to the details of what unfolded this morning as the circumstances are being investigated by IHIT and the IIO, her death while on duty and in service to our community is both senseless and tragic. Constable Yang worked with our police mental health and homeless outreach team where she was a valued member. She was compassionate and caring and she brought those skills every day to her job working with our community's most vulnerable including those experiencing homelessness and mental health issues. Uh, working with mental health and homelessness can be challenging, but Shailen embraced that job with passion. She found value working with this team and working with those struggling in our community. Resources are being put in place to assist Constable Yang's family and loved ones, her colleagues here at Burnaby Detachment as well. We're all struggling to come to terms with this tragic loss. The hours, weeks, months ahead will be difficult, but to our community in Burnaby and across the country, we thank you for your outpouring of support. We know we are not alone in our sadness and grief. I'd also like to thank the neighboring police agencies who responded to this incident today and who continue to support Burnaby RCMP to ensure that detachment operations continue and that we are able to still serve the public while we deal with this grief and loss. Constable Shailen Yang will always be remembered. Her service and sacrifice to our community will never be forgotten. That is Graham de la Gorgandiere, the Chief Superintendent, Burnaby RCMP, talking about Constable Shailen Yang. And we'll have more on this story because there are still so many questions I know that people would like to see answered. This is Mornings with Simi. There are very good reasons why we say our healthcare system is in crisis because a lot of you out there have probably experienced a problem with the healthcare system. A delay for something, can't find a family doctor, waiting for a referral. There, the list goes on and on. So it's not surprising to hear that the ombudsperson here in BC says complaints against the Ministry of Health have now reached a 10-year high. Let's talk about this latest report. Jay Chalk joins us now, the ombudsperson for BC. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, good morning, Cindy. So tell me, what is it that you took a look at? Well, as uh, every year, we uh, we issue an annual report that sort of takes a overall look at our experience over the past year. And uh, this year, we noted that uh, complaints about our healthcare system had doubled uh, just since 2018-19. Uh, and obviously, some of that is attributable to the pandemic. But we're really seeing a multi-year uh, increase that goes beyond the time of the pandemic. And uh uh, and obviously, that's uh, a concern. British Columbians are concerned about uh, their healthcare system in all manner of uh, 
uh, you know, it manifests a bunch of different ways, whether it be visitations in long-term care, uh, surgical delays, uh, quality of care, access to care. So uh, it's really all over, uh, all over the entire spectrum of the healthcare system. It almost seems like then, from the way you describe it, that this must have been building and building. And was the pandemic then kind of the straw that broke the camel's back? Well, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's it, the pandemic clearly has accelerated what we're seeing as a multi-year trend. Yeah. So what were the most, uh, I want to say popular because it's not like it's a good thing, but what were the I guess, most common complaints that you heard? Well, certainly uh, uh, issues around visitation and long-term care was something that during the pandemic uh, we heard a lot about. I think everybody um, uh, would think it was understandable that in the first few months and weeks of the pandemic, um, obviously long-term care facilities were uh, uh, wanting to make sure that their residents were safe. And and, uh, so tight restrictions weren't really surprising in those first few weeks. But uh, after that, uh, we expected uh, that uh, the care facilities and the health authorities would put in proper uh, schemes for uh, administering visits. Uh, and it, it took quite a while. And in fact, we were we investigated and made recommendations to the ministry about an entire scheme, which they largely adopted. Um, so we were you know, gratified to see that, but it took a long time and took, frankly, too long. But in addition, um, we even saw, for example, um, uh, virtual visits, iPad visits got uh, right. suspended. And that's one of the cases that we reported in this annual report. And obviously those sorts of visits were doubly important when in-person visits were suspended. So that was one example um, uh, of the kind of problem that we saw in the system. That's a really good example, though, because I think a lot of people felt like they loved that. They loved the idea of having virtual care as long as they were able to talk to a doctor. And now that's been taken away from them. So I guess I wonder then, Jay, like what happens with these complaints? So when people come to us and they make a complaint, uh, uh, if it's in our jurisdiction, if it's something where they've tried unsuccessfully to resolve the problem themselves, then we can investigate. And under the Ombudsperson Act, uh, uh, the investigators in my office have the power to compel government to produce records, to um, speak with our investigators. We can even put people under oath if we have to. And then we determine whether or not public bodies have, you know, achieved a threshold of fairness. And if not, uh, then we're making recommendations for them to remedy the problem, whether it's for that person or people in the past or people in the future. And in that way, we sort of hope that and our job is to contribute to sort of continuous improvement of public administration uh, and at the same time uh, help people in need. So is there a mechanism for dealing with these complaints, though, Jay, or is it just that people want to say, hey, I have a problem with the system? Well, I think the uh, the long-term care visit example is a good one because there wasn't anything at the beginning. And after our investigation, um, there was established a process by which you could have an appeal if you were denied a visit. Uh, And that was what we recommended, that we said there needs to be a process that people receive reasons. If they don't like that, that they have an opportunity for a review. So the process did come as a result uh, of, uh, of an investigation uh, that we did. But we're always here, and uh, there are always new problems in public administration, and uh, if people have an issue, they can reach out to us. Well, that's kind of sad, isn't it? There's always new problems in public administration. Um, well, it's, 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 you know, I think what it shows is that people have a real interest in, in the quality of their health care system in, in, in Canada and in British Columbia, and, uh, and when things don't go right, it's so obviously a really important concern for people. Okay, does it, what, what response does the ministry have to this when you are able to say, look, at these are a lot of healthcare complaints. What response do you get back? 
Well, I think that um, uh, by and large, when we conduct an investigation and propose a solution, uh, in the vast majority of cases, uh, public authorities, including those in, in the healthcare system, um, see the if we've done a good investigation and we, we know we were persuasive, um, they're seeing the unfairness that we're seeing. Uh, and uh, but uh, you know I think that the last couple of years have been an incredibly unstable time, uh, as we all know, uh, in society, but also in public administration. Changes changes happened at an unprecedented rate during the pandemic. And when that happens, uh, things fall through the cracks. And uh, so our job is to, as quickly as we can, identify those and try and, uh, you know, and try and remedy those. But I think that we also uh, try to look forward and see what are those emerging issues. And, and in those cases, we'll do, for example, systemic investigations where we see a trend happening and we're wanting to uh, you know, propose things that uh, hopefully for the future will, um, you know, stop the, stop the problems from happening in the first place to get to your question. So good example of that outside the healthcare system is we're currently doing an investigation that relates to something that happened in the past, last year's floods and, and wildfires uh, and the administration of two disaster relief programs that the province runs. But really the object is to make those programs better for the future because uh, with climate change, everyone's anticipating we're going to see more of those extreme weather events. So it's a way we can learn from the past right. uh, and help point those things out to governments and hopefully fix public administration going forward. Right. That, that's, I mean, I think people would like to hear that, right? They want to complain so that that problem gets fixed and somebody else doesn't go through it. So then, Jay, what yeah. do people need to know then? If, is there a process for this? Like, how do they make a complaint? Super easy. Um, uh, they can phone us uh, 1-800-567-3247. Uh, and uh, we'll have people who take their call. Basically, what we want to know is, uh, 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 you know, what was uh, what was your problem? What public body are you complaining about? Um, under the Ombudsperson Act, uh, there are most of the uh, broader public sector at the provincial and local jurisdiction are in our jurisdiction. Um, um, but if not, uh, we'll uh, we've been doing this for 40 years, so we know other uh, people who can help if it's outside our jurisdiction. But if it is, uh, that's the best way to go. Um, if these things occur to you at 10 o'clock at night, um, uh, uh, you can reach us. Uh, we have an online complaint form that you can use as well. But really, our preference is a phone call because that way we can engage in a conversation and get the information we need. OK, so that sounds like a lot of work, though. So th- clearly complaints about the Ministry of Health are keeping you busy. Complaints about the health system uh, definitely are up. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, that's we'll see whether that stays in the case, in, you know, stays the case when uh, the pandemic hopefully ends soon. Uh, uh, but uh, regardless, uh, we're here. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Thanks to me. That's Jay Chalk, who is the ombudsperson for B.C. They put out an annual report saying their office received almost 1,300 complaints or inquiries focused on programs and services provided by the Ministry of Health. And that is 15% more than all of the complaints that regards to other topics during that same time period. So clearly people have concerns about the healthcare system. It was top of mind. Everything from visitor restrictions and long-term care, which, you know, just from here on the show, we know what a huge issue that was here, to surgery delays. That's incredibly difficult and challenging for people. To just quality of care, virtual care, you know, just being able, maybe you had a doctor's office that was doing virtual appointments and then they stopped doing virtual appointments and people would be upset by that. And I think rightfully so. So if you have concerns, you think, yeah, there was something I wanted to complain about. I would like to hear it. Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. 
How much money are you going to spend this holiday season and are you already thinking about it? Well, Deloitte Canada has come out with a summary of really what we can expect out of retail this time of year and heading into the season. And that report shows that customers are already cutting back on holiday spending. They're already thinking about it. They are already planning for it. And for more on that, we're joined now by our contributor, Raji Sohal. Good morning, Raji. Hi, Simi. Yeah, so last year, Canadians spent over $1,800 in purchases leading up to the holidays. And the report shows that this year, they're going to spend about $1,500. And then really interestingly, the report says that Canadians will be treating themselves less. So the largest cuts are in these non-gift purchases. So this includes a 55% drop in non-gift electronics, Uh, travel. Also, people are going to be spending less in non-gift clothing. And this is me, Simi, because what I do every year around this time is I start looking for friends and family's gifts online. And then inevitably, I fall upon stuff for myself and the household (laughs) and that kind of thing. Oh, that's funny. That's yeah, that's where a lot of our holiday time spending actually goes. And and it's typical. But this year for myself, I'm I'm going to be really strict about that. There will be no shopping whatsoever for the like just general household items that we don't need uh, and stuff that I don't need. Um, But I don't know if you ever have that issue. Um, I don't. I have a couple of cousins who are just extraordinary at picking out gifts and I can I no longer compete. I can't compete. One of them wraps everything and it looks like Martha Stewart. And I can't compete with that at all. The other one is just, I don't I don't know where she goes shopping or what she does, but she manages to find something that is perfect for that person every single year. Like I am in awe of their ability. So what I do is I bake. I do big cookie boxes and treats and things because that I feel like is the one thing that I can do well. Oh, and you're a good baker. And then people appreciate that because it's handmade too, for sure. Actually, it's funny you mentioned the gift wrapping thing because this year I have vowed to teach myself how to just wrap a gift like I am an origami pro. So I'm going to get into that this year. Um, But you know, the the retail report, uh, it cites interest rates and increased prices for people's lower intended spending. But there's, there's also this lingering kind of COVID hangover, right? People don't know uh, also what's going to happen with the war in Ukraine and that's what that's going to do to our economy here. So so I think folks are spending less for that reason. Um, but this report looks mainly at big box stores. And I was thinking, well, what about the local shop? Like how is a BC grown retailer doing these days? Are they you know, worried about people spending less over the holidays? Can they survive it even? We know restaurants are saying that they are facing so many challenges, but I thought, what about the clothing retailer that's like made in Vancouver? And it's funny, I reached out to some and they all echoed a no to me that they're not worried. Yeah, they said they're kind of immune to the retail trends because people continue to shop with them for something different. And I talked to one owner of a clothing retailer. She's, uh, she's, her name's Marilyn. She owns Blue Sky. It's a women's clothing outlet. And she has 10 locations throughout BC. Uh, They're in Eastman, Kitts, uh, Nelson, Balfour. They're all over the place. And she said that they have a different kind of resilience. We, um, last year, we were up about 20%. So, and this year, I think it's, I think we're looking at even more than that. For us, we're doing great. And I think because we have clothing for all body shapes and all, um, all age groups, 
and everything's natural fiber and it just ticks off a lot of things that people care about now. They want to be comfortable. They want to have natural fabric. And and more than anything, our clothes are really, really comfortable. So once they start wearing them, then they come back and get more. And even in the pandemic, we survived very, very well. I'm not concerned at all. And, uh, and I think for people that have lower budgets, we really, really mark our stuff down. Like if it's from a different season, we really discount really aggressively. And so people and our website has all that product on it. So it's easy for people on smaller budgets to still keep on shopping and get something nice for their mom or to buy a nice shirt for $20 is nothing. I think that that's why we can keep on going. So I don't know, I feel really confident that our success will keep on going. And so how do you compete with the big box stores, uh, especially in the lead up to the holidays when uh, they're slashing prices and they're they're following the uh, you know Black Friday schemes and whatnot? Once people discover us, then, you know, they'll continue to support um you know, a BC company and somebody and all our stuff will break down in the landfill and that kind of thing. So we just keep on um, trying to stay focused and do a good job and, and, and not really worry about what other people are doing. And I'm so curious to hear what you've heard from customers around shopping from a BC company. Like, do you hear if that's important to them or not? I have heard that for sure. But what I hear the most is that our clothes are comfortable and they're well-priced. That's that's what I hear the most. Well, that's good though, right? And I'm, I love that she has a great attitude towards providing that value to customers because I think people do recognize that. Yeah, so I think their key to success is offering something different, right? She does uh, ethical clothes, like they use eco fabric and that kind of thing. Um, And then the pricing is competitive because that is indispensable right now. Uh, One thing that this retail report shows is that Canadians, when they're going to shop, 70% more will be going for something just because it's on sale, whereas that number was around 50% last year. And so I think people are maybe Black Friday. Friday is going to be a big deal this year. I think it will be too. Can I give you, uh, I want to read to you this one email I just got from Michelle. Michelle is a legend. I'm just going to say that right now. Michelle wrote to say, good morning, Simi. I am 90% complete for my Christmas shopping. She said, I'll just need a couple of last minute stuffers, but the people I love and myself a few months ago, she said, you know, she found it's like quite pricey this year, she said, compared to previous years. So they talked about it and everybody's cutting back. So she's been couponing, getting items on sale, earning loyalty points for the club that she belongs to, and then using that money and spending it at certain stores so that she can get more gifts for people. She said all year long when she sees a good deal, like wherever Bed Bath Beyond, she says, whatever, she buys it and puts it aside. She said in a certain Rubbermaid container that has the label, do not touch. So people Whoa. don't peek. So she said, I buy all year and tuck aside anyways. And it helps to keep costs down. She said, she's a pro. Holy Michelle, my jaw is on the floor. Wow. That's yeah. a queen for sure. Because we're not even at Halloween yet. <laughs> I admire that. I love that. So yes, there you go, Roger. Now, now the pressure is on for you. You're going to have to start doing this. Got to get organized. I need these uh, Rubbermaid bins. They better yeah. come with locks, though, because my kids are starting to learn to read. <laughs> oh, yes. Locks, definitely. Raji, thank you. Thanks, Amy. That is our Raji Silhal talking about holiday spending. How are you approaching it this year?